We actually wrote that song, I kid you not, 24 hours ago. And uh, the band just had to learn it and figure it out because we thought, eh, this makes sense for a Christmas snowstorm. So welcome to Northridge. So glad you're here. I'm glad you can see me because I can't see you. If I do this, oh, I can see heads. Like you got, there's actually people out there. That's helpful. But we're glad that you're here. Welcome for our Christmas candlelight services. Merry Christmas to you. And uh, we're just glad that you came tonight. So I want to highlight one thing real quick before I get into the actual message tonight. Um, so a week from Sunday. So on Christmas Sunday, we're not going to be here. So if you show up, that's awesome. Celebrate Christmas by yourself. It'll be kind of boring and kind of lonely. But and you can be here. That's cool. But we're not going to be here. But one week from Sunday on the first, that would be New Year's Day, yes, we're actually going to have one service instead of our normal two, one service at 10 o'clock, and we're going to do something that we've never done before. We're going to have a very special, very different kind of a service. It's not going to look anything like what you normally see. The stage, the screens will still be here, and we're going to do some stuff here, but then we're going to get you guys involved in making something that I think is going to be very special for the rest of the year. And we're going to do that all together. This is open for anybody, families, anybody, doesn't matter who. And so come on January 1st and join us at 10 o'clock uh, on Sunday, January 1st for a very special service. So, um, so when I was a kid in elementary school, so a young kid, our family lived in Rapid City, South Dakota. And uh, the rest of our extended family lived all the way back in central Indiana. And so every Christmas... We would take an 18-hour drive to get back to Indiana. We, I kid you not, our parents would wake us up at 3 in the morning, throw us in some sleeping bags. They'd keep driving. We'd drive early in the morning. We'd get up for breakfast. We kept driving, kept driving. We'd get to Indiana about 11 o'clock that night. That's how we did it. How many of you think my family's crazy? Yeah, I get it. But that's what we do. And so we would go to Indiana. Now, I don't know if the rest of you guys do this, but what we did when we were in Indiana is we hit kind of like the family circuit. We didn't have one Christmas. We had three different Christmases. You know what? Some of you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You parents, like you ferry everybody around. So we went to one set of grandparents. Then we went to our great-grandparents. Then we went to the other side of the family, to our other set of grandparents, all in central Indiana within probably two hours of each other. But the problem was that my brother and I, my brother Bryce, he's four years younger than me. So I was in about first grade when we started doing this. He was probably two to three years old. We kind of got confused as to which grandparents' house we were going to half the time. You know, okay, where are we going now? Okay, which grandma and grandpa is that? You know, kind of a thing because we were little kids. And so we had to start identifying our grandparents by what they had in their house. So, for example, uh, our great-grandparents, they had these, like, really brightly colored water-filled balls. And so when we were going to our great-grandparents' house, my parents would say, we're going to, you know, grandma and grandpa's house with the, the, the colored water balls. And we'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, we know. <laughs> we totally get that. And then uh, for the other grandparents, they had a pool table, like a billiards table in their basement. And so this was grandma and grandpa pool balls. It worked really well, right? We know, oh, grandma and grandpa pool balls. Yeah, we know where we're going, right? For kids, like, understand, like, this is how we did this. And then what was really cool is my other set of grandparents on my dad's side, they had a really, really old house in central Indiana. And the, the coolest thing about this house was that they had a door in the floor. Have you guys, has anybody ever seen this? 
like doors in the floor, really, really cool. It's the only one that I've actually ever seen. I've heard about them. I've, I know that others exist, but it's the only one that I've really seen. And so you go into the back room and there was this massive, like regular sized door and it had a metal ring in there and you kind of lift the ring up and then you pull this door up and lean it over against the wall. And then there's stairs that go down into the, honestly, it was probably one of the creepiest basements I've ever seen. It was not finished. It was all concrete. The furnace was the only thing down there. And there was always uh, water in the corner, you know, that kind of a basement. And it's like, why is there always water over there? It's just, oh, it was creepy. And so, but one thing that the cousins love to do is we love to open that door in the floor because you never get to open doors in floors, right? And so they became known as grandma and grandpa with the door in the floor. (laughs) We were really creative as kids, as a family. But this is why I bring that up. The door made quite an impression. And tonight, I want to talk to you about doors. I know that's weird. Merry Christmas. (laughs) But I'm going to talk to you about doors. Now, we know that there's all kinds of doors, right? We know that there's front doors. We know that we can have back doors. And usually they look a little bit different. Although, to be honest, this is the nicest back door I have ever seen. Like, I don't know whose house that is, but they are like a perfectionist, I think, because that back door looks amazing. We have front doors. We have back doors. We have modern doors, right? These kind that look, that's a really cool modern door. And we have really, really old doors, like ancient doors that have been around for hundreds of years. Different kinds of doors. We have uh, metal doors, like really strong, what are you hiding behind that thing, safe, you know, kind of looking door. And then you have wooden doors, really ornate and beautiful and all that kind of stuff. You have castle doors. I used to teach history. So my wife taught third grade. You already found that out. You're going to hear our whole life history, apparently. You guys knew what I did for Christmas when I was a kid. We're just going to share everything. And so we, we taught, I taught history. I love teaching about castle doors and the turrets and all the different things. You have castle doors. And then what's really cool is... You also have pet doors. How cute is that? I know, isn't that great? Some of it, I knew I'd get an aww sometime tonight. There it is, right? The pet doors. But the truth is that doors are really important, aren't they? Doors are really, really important for a whole bunch of different reasons. But let me give you the two most important reasons. One, because it gives you the way in, Right? It's going to be really hard, at least a lot harder, to get into your house without a door, isn't it? It's going to be much harder to do that. It's your way into wherever you're trying to get to. But then secondly, it also provides you safety and security, doesn't it? This is why we don't just cut out a hole in your wall in your house and then just leave it there. That would be really, really bad, right? We want the door to be able to latch and to lock. Some of you are really, really, some of you... I'm not going to ask for hands here tonight, but how many of you have like three or four locks on your door? And I know, I know a couple of people that they like lock, lock, click, do the thing, latch the deal. We like security, right? Because we want to keep people out of our house that shouldn't be there. People like thieves and also maybe that pesky neighbor that never stops talking. The one that you run from whenever they're outside. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. You're mowing the lawn and you just hope that you can be done mowing the lawn before they get out there because otherwise you're going to be out there for another hour. We like our doors. We like our security. But today, I want to talk about a different type of door. It's not a physical door. It's a spiritual door. 
Today, we're going to talk about and ask about the question that we've been asking, honestly, as a church for the last few weeks. And that question is, who is Jesus? Now, the truth is, if I asked you, what do you know about Jesus? You'd probably be able to tell me some things. Uh, I think he died on a cross. He resurrected from the grave. I think there was a tomb thing. Uh, I think he's the son of God is what I've been told. You know, he's, he's all in the Bible. He's all in the New Testament. Maybe you know a lot about Jesus, but do you know who Jesus is? Do you know who he is? Well, tonight, I want to answer the question, who is Jesus, by telling you an answer that Jesus himself gave. You know what Jesus said that he is? He says that he is the door. Well, that's kind of weird. How can a person be a door? Well, I want to talk about that tonight. So, I'm going to take us to the book of John. And in the book of John, Jesus is speaking to a whole crowd of people. And they've asked him a really important question. And so Jesus is trying to explain who he is to this huge group of people. And so where we're going to kind of pick this up, where he starts talking, is he's trying to explain why he came to earth, why he's here, and who he is. Listen to what Jesus says. John chapter 10, I'm going to start with verse 7. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep, or for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. By the way, did you figure out who the sheep are in this story? That's you and me. It's people. The sheep didn't listen to the thieves and the robbers. They didn't didn't follow the false ones. I am the door, Jesus says. If anyone enters by me or through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the question I have is, what does Jesus mean when he says, I'm the door? Because I don't know about you, but that's weird. If, somebody, if one of you kind of walks up to me and says, hey, Brent, I just wanted you to know, I'm a door. <laughs> I'd be like, cool, <laughs> you're weird. <laughs> you know, right? I mean, that, that, would, that wouldn't make any sense if, if somebody came up to you and said, I'm the door. I'm the door. I, I, I'm the way to enter in. But that's what Jesus says. He says, I'm the door. So how do we understand what Jesus is saying? Well, In order to understand this, we need to talk a little bit about Middle Eastern shepherd tactics. Hmm. Aren't you guys glad that I used to be a history teacher? So you just get stuck with this kind of stuff? I'm sorry already. But let's talk about Middle Eastern shepherd tactics in the time of Jesus. So if a, if a set of shepherds wanted to protect their sheep, then, you know, at night or, or maybe there was some kind of a threat or something, they would gather their sheep into a really rudimentary sheep pen. Now, I pulled up a picture. This is maybe something of maybe kind of what it may have looked like. They didn't have wood fences. They didn't have barbed wire fences. They didn't have all the fancy stuff that we have today. And so they used what they had. They, in fact, they didn't have a lot of wood at all. And so they used what they had which was a lot of rocks. They had a whole bunch of rocks in the Middle East. Now, this is clearly not a picture in the Middle East, okay? This, they had grass, they had trees on and stuff. This is actually a different part of the world, but this gives you an idea of the kind of sheep pen that in Jesus' day the shepherds would have built. Now, I want you to notice that there's no door on it. There's no gate. There's no blockade other than the wall itself. There's just an opening. 
And that's how they would do this because, again, they didn't have access to wood and those kinds of things. And so the shepherds, what they do is they get all the sheep herded into there. And then what we believe that they did is the shepherd, not all the time, but would sometimes lay down across the opening. They would literally become the door. Now, they did this for two reasons. One, because they wanted to be the ones who let whatever in to the sheep pen. They wanted to control who was able to get in there because they were doing the second reason they were laying there is what? To protect the sheep, right? From all the predators that would want to get to them. And so they would lay and they would literally become the door. Now, I wonder if that's what Jesus meant. When he said, I am the door and the sheep, they hear my voice, they listen to me and I am the way in. I wonder if Jesus was thinking about a sheep pen like that. The fact that he is there to both let us in and also protect us. Now, the question becomes, why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do we celebrate Jesus? What is the big deal? Like we've been, we've been kind of prepping for Christmas. We've been kind of getting this all this going for weeks and weeks. And here we are to celebrate Jesus. Why do we make such a big deal about Jesus? Well, the reason is because he became a door. A door for you and for me to get to God. Because the, the Bible says very clearly that we can't access God. We cannot be in God's presence without somebody opening the door to God because of sin. And so Jesus became the door, and that's why he arrived as a human being. Because God didn't want us to just believe in God as some ethereal thing out there. God wanted us to know that he was with us which is who Jesus is called, Emmanuel, which means God with us. But let's be honest for a minute. Sometimes opening a door can be a little scary, can't it? And you understand, I'm not talking about necessarily a physical door, although it could be. Some of you, have you ever been outside a door where there's a big party going on? Maybe it's a work party. Maybe, it's, maybe you were invited over to somebody's house for a party and you've never been over to their house. And there's going to be a group of people there that you don't know. And, and how many of you have wondered, like before you ring the doorbell, you kind, of, you kind of question, like, do I actually want to go in? Have you ever been there where you're a little bit nervous, a little social anxiety before you do that? Because going through a door sometimes can be intimidating. It can be scary, can't it? But then sometimes the proverbial life doors are also scary. And one of the most important things we have to do is to choose which doors to open and which doors to keep closed. For example, which college to go to? Some of you recently have just made the decision to go to college. Some of you I know in here are wrestling with that decision on where you're going to go to college. Some of you, you know you're not going to college. You're, you're not going to college. You're just going to go get a job. And so now it becomes, where do I get a job? And parents, some parents in here, you're like, any job that will actually pay you for you to leave my house, right? That's what some of you are saying. You're like, I don't care. Just get a job. Please get a job. But sometimes answering those questions, which, who, who, who am I going to spend the rest of my life with? Who am I going to marry? 
Where am I going to go for this job? What job, what kind of a career should I get in? Some of you have wondered if you should stay in the job that you're in, maybe especially because of this pandemic. You've wondered, should I close the door on what I'm doing now to open a different door? But let's be honest, how scary is it to close one job in order to go look for a different one? That's a scary deal, isn't it, to open that door? Opening a door can be really scary. And I think sometimes we're intimidated by thinking about giving our life to Jesus, opening that door, because it's kind of scary. So my family and I were watching TV the other night. This was just a few nights ago. Um, We like watching this TV series called Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I'm just wondering, how many out there have watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Is there anybody else? All right, there's like four of you. Awesome. Okay, cool. Um, So there's this series called Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They kind of spin off of the Marvel series. And uh, and there's this moment in one of the last episodes that we watched. I think it was two episodes ago. And uh, and we were watching this moment, and two of the agents are chasing this really scary creature. Okay? And, uh, and they don't know where this creature is in the building. They don't even know if this creature is in the building, but they're trying to find this creature because they're trying to protect some other people. And they're going through, they're working through this, you know, this, this building very methodically, and, and they finally, of course, you know where they end up? They end up in the basement, in the dark basement, okay? It, I'll, I'll be honest, it wasn't quite as scary as my grandparents' basement, but it was kind of scary. Okay? And they're working their way, and they find, kind of turn a corner, and there's this part of the hallway that's really dimly lit, like it's really dark. It's kind of dark, like, like they can't see things like I can't see you guys right now. And so they're kind of walking through, and then, wouldn't you know it, at the end of the hallway, of course, is a set of, you know what? Double doors. It's the last place that this creature could be. Mm, you can tell what they're doing, right? And so in that moment, it gets really intense and the suspense starts building because it's going to be really scary to open that door. And this is the moment where everybody's grabbing the couch a little bit tighter because we're like, okay, what's going to happen? You know, do you guys want to see it? Take a look. Three. Two. <laughs> you guys want to know what happens? I am totally not telling you. Merry Christmas. <laughs> You'll just have to watch it. It's amazing. Yeah, but couldn't you just feel it? Like you kind of like you're sitting there going, ah, uh, uh, what's going to happen? And then there's this moment. They open the door. There's this fear until the door opens because you don't know what's on the other side. I wonder how many of us sitting here tonight are scared to give our life to Jesus. We're worried about opening that door because we don't know what it might mean. It's a scary prospect. Maybe you're worried about what people will think of you if people knew that you believed in Jesus, that you actually believed in God. Or maybe you're scared because you don't know. It might change how you have to live your life. Or God might ask you to do something. Or he might ask you to travel to another country or, or become a missionary or something. We, we all think these crazy thoughts that God is going to call us to do. Maybe you're on the other side of that door and Jesus is asking you to open that door, to accept him, to, 
to actually put your hope and your trust in Jesus tonight. But if you're going to be honest, it's kind of scary. You're not sure if you want to open that door. Well, tonight, maybe you're asking the question, is it worth it? Is it even worth it to open the door? And what I want to tell you tonight, at least according to God, according to the promise that he makes to you, the answer to that is an emphatic yes. It's totally worth it. Because Jesus offers you salvation, offers you freedom from sin. And he offers you peace. Now, if you're here tonight and you're saying, I don't even know how we would do that. I'm not even sure. I wasn't even ready. I just wanted to light a candle and sing Silent Night tonight. (laughs) I get it. I get it. But maybe you're here and now that we're talking about it, you're realizing, you know, I've never done that. I've never given my life to Jesus. But maybe I should. Maybe I could. Tonight, if you want to do that, I would encourage you to just pray. Tell God, I want to, I want to open that door. Tonight, I want to commit my life to you. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave for me. But tonight, I, I know you're the door and I know you're my way to God. I know you, you'll give me peace. I know you'll protect me. And maybe tonight is the night where you say, I'm going to do that. And the truth is, one of the reasons we have those connect cards is so you can connect with us and we can connect with you. But another reason is so that on the back of there, there's a whole bunch of different things that you can check that maybe you wanted to make a commitment tonight. There's no pressure. We're not going to push you. We're not going to ask you on the way out, hey, did you make a commitment for Jesus tonight? We're not going to do that. It's a safe place. If you're not ready, you're not ready. But if Jesus is calling you to open that door, to believe in him, then tonight do that. And let us know in that connect card. I promise we're not going to do anything other than just reach out to you and say, hey, do you have any questions? And we're going, to get a, we're going to get books to you. In fact, we've had many people accept Christ in the last few months here at Northridge, and they've had these, gotten these books from us, and they've said, that is amazing. I didn't fully understand even what I was doing, and now I'm under, starting to understand. We just want to help. That's it. We're not going to embarrass you. We just want to put some stuff in your hands to kind of help you out. So will you allow Jesus to be the door where you enter and reach out to God? Now, there's one other promise that Jesus offers that I want to touch on tonight. And then we'll kind of land the plane and then we'll get into what everybody gets really excited about. We get to sing and we get to light candles and we're not going to tip them, apparently. We're not going to burn anybody's hair. That's good. Lord did a good job covering that. We'll get to that. But before we do that, Jesus offers us one other thing. He gives us a promise of something. And you know what it is? It's something that we hear about all the time at Christmas. That word is peace. Jesus offers us peace. In fact, the angels, when they came, remember when you know, Jesus was born and, and, uh, and, and, and all the things needed to be announced and God sent angels to announce it to these shepherds in the middle of the night They were taking care of their sheep, and all of a sudden these angels appear in the night sky, and they start saying things, they start singing things. And do you remember how the angel ends the message to the shepherds that night about Jesus being born? This is how they end it in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. They say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men, toward humanity. Peace on earth earth. 
the angels declared that Jesus brought peace on earth. Now here's a problem I have. If you read the Christmas story, as told in the Bible anyway, there is a severe lack of peace in the Christmas story. Let me just give you a summary of the Christmas story. Mary, Jesus' mother, the one who gives birth to Jesus. So we know, the Bible tells us, that she is a virgin. Now she's really young. We think that she was probably still in the teenage years. And so she's really young. Mary is a virgin, but she's also pregnant. Now, how many of you that totally makes sense? No? Doesn't make sense to anybody because it doesn't make sense, right? Why? Imagine Mary going to her parents and having that conversation with her parents. So, hey, mom and dad, it's totally okay. So I'm still a virgin, but I am pregnant. Oh, yeah, we totally get it. Sure. Okay, that explains everything. Thank you, honey, for letting us know. Right? That's not, I I doubt that's how that conversation went. So what do I know? I know that Mary's life, at that moment, there was no more peace. At least not the kind that we think of. Think about Joseph, her fiancé. He made a promise to marry Mary to spend the rest of his life with her. And now she's pregnant and not by him. How, How peaceful do you think he's feeling at this moment? Not so much. On top of that, where do they have to travel? Remember the whole Luke chapter 2? And the, the census was taken in the entire Roman world. So they had to travel from Nazareth to the little town of what? Bethlehem. Oh, can we sing it? No, we're not going to sing it. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. They travel all the way to Bethlehem. And they did it when Mary was eight or nine months pregnant. I can tell you there was no peace on that trip. Seriously, Laura and I took our our firstborn, Jackson, when he was two years old, to the mountains to go camping, and she was pregnant with Hannah. She was like, I don't know, were you six, seven months? I can't see you. I don't know where you're at, so I I can't verify this. But she was not like just barely pregnant. She was really pregnant. And we went camping. I'm just here to tell you, men in the room, if you have that idea, Just run as fast as you can from that idea. That was the least peaceful camping trip we've ever had. I mean, by far. It was pretty much awful. She was uncomfortable, and we couldn't sleep, and she couldn't sleep, so I couldn't sleep, and our two-year-old couldn't sleep. It was was awesome. No peace. (laughs) Mary and Joseph, no peace. And then, of course, when they get to Bethlehem, there's no room for them, right? We, we kind of traditional is like there was no room at the inn. There's no inn, by the way. There's no hotel in Bethlehem. Bethlehem's a tiny little town. There's no inn. That was a bad translation. You know what it meant is where they were supposed to stay, probably with family, there was no room left. And so you know where they ended up. We all know where they ended up because Jesus was laid in a manger. They ended up where the animals were kept. So just put this in modern context. Imagine somebody, a couple arrives, and she is very, very pregnant, like ready to give birth, and, and, and you don't have any space. All the guest rooms are taken. The, the living room is covered with sleeping bags, and everybody's got the couches. And so the only place you have left is the laundry room where you keep the dog in the kennel. And you say, here's a few blankets. If the baby's born, um, here's some cloth. You can wrap up the baby, maybe place him on the dog kennel. The dog's fine. The dog's really nice. 
I kid you not, that's exactly what's going on. They're in the space where the animals are. Jesus is laid in a manger. We're like, oh, he's laid in a beautiful manger. It's a feeding trough for animals. Literally, that's where the, the animals ate. And I'm not talking like nibbling. I'm talking like donkeys and sheep going, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Seriously, hmm, this looks like a nice place to pay, put the baby. There's no peace going on in this story. No peace. On top of that, God decides it's that moment, it's the time when he needs to announce to everybody that Jesus is born. And so he sends the angels to the shepherds and the shepherds, what is the first thing the shepherds do? The shepherds run to go see baby Jesus. How many of you in the room on the first night of your first child being born, you want as many people to show up at your house? This is going to be great. This is wonderful. I just got cleaned up and the baby, we just got the baby cleaned up and like, let's invite everybody in. And you know what the shepherds did after they saw Jesus? The scriptures tell us this. Seriously, the shepherds went out and told everyone they could find where Mary and Joseph were and where they could find Jesus. That's awesome. Hundreds of people probably showed up that night. This is great. Joseph, can we close the door, please? No peace. And on top of that, much later, a little while later, God sends a message to Joseph and Mary and says, you need to run in the middle of the night because King Herod is jealous of Jesus and he wants to kill him. And so now they are escaping to Egypt. They're running for their lives. There is no peace in this story. It's just not there. Not in a physical sense anyway. And it's kind of like... Um, Laura and I dropped off our kids one morning. This was probably three weeks ago, I think. It was before we got all the snow. And we were on our way back to our house, you know, to get back to work and all that kind of stuff after dropping our kids off. And uh, <laughs> we, we drove by this uh, front house where uh, they have a snowman sitting in the front. But this is what's funny. We actually stopped to take a picture because this is what the snowman, it was after one of those really windy days. Take a look at this snowman. This is, this is awesome. I mean, literally, you can see the head is ripped off and hanging. The hat's almost on the ground, and all the spikes are sticking out. I mean, it looks just screwed. And so we slowed down to make sure we got a picture. That's why I can show you the picture, because we, we were just laughing. And we're like, if that doesn't explain Christmas, I don't know what does. <laughs> yep, I feel like my head's been ripped off. Thank you. Merry Christmas to everybody. I mean, we were just laughing in the car. We're like, man, we got to get a picture of that. And wouldn't you know it, I, I was able to use it for a sermon. <laughs> that wasn't the plan at the time. But, I mean, honestly, look at this picture. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you feel like Christmas had done this to you this year? I do. <laughs> there have been times, I, I literally told somebody on the phone a couple days ago, I said, I feel like my head's rolling around and I'm just trying to catch up to it. That's what I feel like this season. I wonder if that's Mary and Joseph, how they felt. I wonder how that, if that's how some of you feel this Christmas. Like there's no peace. And what I want to encourage you tonight is this. Jesus did not 
come to earth as a baby and grow up as a human and die on the cross and, re and resurrect from the grave. Jesus did not do this to give us physical peace because I don't know about you, but I would not claim that our world is peaceful right now. Right? I would not make that claim because that would not be true. But why Jesus came is not to give us physical peace that we can kind of experience around here. The Christmas story was not peaceful. Jesus came to give us peace within. Peace with God. Peace that transcends what's going on around us. Even when all of life falls apart, Jesus offers us peace within the midst of the mess, in the midst of the storm. So many of us have probably heard of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. If you kind of, that name rings a little bit of a bell. He's a famous poet that wrote a lot of famous poems from the middle of the 1800s. Now, a lot of us have maybe heard that name. We wouldn't necessarily know all of his work and stuff like that, poems and stuff. But we don't probably know his tragic story. So in 1863, so he lived in the middle of the 1800s, and 1863 was in the middle of the Civil War, right? The Union and the South are fighting against each other, brother against brother, family against family. It was a pretty messy, awful time. And Henry's son, Charlie, wanted to fight for the Union Army, for Abraham Lincoln's army in the North. And so he went and asked his father, and his father said yes, but because of his son's age, Charlie's age, his father, Henry, had to write a letter of recommendation allowing him to become a soldier. And so Henry did that. He wrote a letter allowing his son to become a soldier in the Union Army. Well, sadly, a little while later, after some of the battles that he had been in, one of the battles that he was in, his son, Charlie, got shot in the shoulder. And the bullet kind of went in at an angle, it hit his shoulder, and then it exited back out of his back. But as it went through his body, it grazed his spine. It just nicked it. Now, it didn't cause complete paralysis, but as you can imagine, it affected Charlie for the rest of his life. They were able to save his life, but it affected him the rest of his life and, and really caused a lot of pain for him and for his family. But that's really nothing that happened than what happened two years before that. So Henry's had something pretty tragic two years before his son had all that happen. That would have been bad enough, but two years earlier, so Henry was asleep in the room over, and all of a sudden he awoke to his wife's screams. And he ran out of the room that he was awakened from and he ran into the next room and he saw that his wife was standing in the room and her dress had caught on fire. And remember in the 1800s, these dresses were like, they had a ton of material to them. And she had gotten a little bit close and, and the dress had caught on fire and so her whole dress was just in flames. And and of course, Henry, freaking out and immediately jumped into Ashton, he grabbed a blanket and tried to use the blanket to kind of, you know, put the fire out and, and do all that, but it wasn't working. So he threw the, the blanket aside and he actually threw her down and threw his body on top of her and tried to pat all the, the fire out and tried to, tried to roll her around and try to keep the fire from just kind of burning her. But tragically, 
His wife didn't make it. She succumbed to those injuries. And of course, Henry, being a writer, he just couldn't bring himself to write anymore. His grief was too deep. So he stopped writing. And he wrote, actually later, when he did start writing again, he wrote later about how during that season, he felt like somebody was going to actually come and grab him and drag him away to an insane asylum because his grief was so painful and so deep. But another thing that happened with Henry that night is because he jumped in and, and wrapped himself around his wife to try to stop the flames from, from killing her, he got very badly burned himself. And so I have a picture. This is actually, if you see a picture of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, this is what he looks like. The reason he always has a full beard in all the pictures that you will find of him, at least from the, this time in life and later, is because it was too painful for him to shave where he had gotten burned on his face. It's a pretty awful story. A pretty horrific story. But here's why I tell that story. It was in the midst of all that, when he had stopped writing, it was Christmas Day. And he was sitting there in his grief, wrestling through all the things that had happened in his life. Hadn't been writing. And all of a sudden, as he was sitting there on Christmas Day, the church bells began to ring. And then he heard this song peace on earth, goodwill to men. Not the modern one that we know, but a different one. But it was that phrase, peace on earth, goodwill to men, as the angels said. But the problem was Henry was wrestling with the grief, and he felt like there's, there's no peace here. But then God began to switch in that moment and shift his heart. And Henry sat down and he began to write. And he ended up writing what is probably his most famous poem by far, 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 far. The poem known as I Heard This on Christmas Day. And I want to read for you a part of the lyrics that were written as a result of that poem. Because it really captures what he was trying to say. That he had so much pain, but that he had peace in the midst of it. This is what was written. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And this is where he changes his tune. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right, the good prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Jesus, the reason we celebrate Jesus at Christmas is because he has offered you peace. Not peace, which is freedom from conflict or freedom from problems in your family, but peace that sits deeper than that within. Peace that comes in the midst of the storm and in spite of the storm that we see around us. And so the question I have for you this Christmas is this. 
Will you open the door of Jesus in your life? Will you answer the call of Jesus? That's pretty good timing. Maybe Jesus is going to call you. Maybe he's not going to knock on the door. I don't even know who it is. You're good. But seriously, will you give your life to Christ? Because it's the only promise we have of peace in this life. Will you open the door and allow Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of your life? My hope, our hope, and our prayer at Northridge is that you would do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for everybody that has come out tonight. I thank you for the opportunity to celebrate you tonight with candlelight and with all the different things that we're going to be doing. Lord Jesus, I know that we have planned and we've, we've prayed and we've been preparing for all of these things again and again and again. But now as we go into these last couple of songs, as we actually sing that song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, as, the, as we all just listen to the words of that song, may we be reminded that even Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who had a, a really, really a lot of pain in his life, but he even recognized and realized that his peace does not come from outside. It comes from you, Jesus. The peace that only comes within. And so I pray if there's anybody here in this space that has never given their life to you, they've never accepted you, Jesus, that they would do that tonight. May they not leave here thinking that they can handle life on their own because I know we know we can't. We can get through it, but it's going to be way more painful without the peace that you give to us. We want to experience that. So help us this Christmas to embrace who you are, the door, the way to God. Now, as we sing these last couple of songs, Jesus, if you're calling us to do something different than what we're doing in life or whatever it is, just impress that upon us, but help us just to celebrate who you are as we listen to this next song and then as we finish by singing Silent Night. May you fill our hearts and our souls with your love and your peace and your presence. This is a beautiful moment where we have just set aside to honor and worship and praise you. I pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.